right, well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. If you're kind of new around here, uh, my name is Matthew and one of the pastors, and it's a joy to have you here today. Uh, this, uh, this morning, if you would, join me in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, so if you've got it in print or digital, grab it. If you've got your phone and want to follow along, you can scan a QR code on the screen and they'll take you to a spot where you can follow along today while you're getting there. A couple things. Number one, this Wednesday, first Wednesday prayer, 7 o'clock. We'd love to see you personally here as we pray and seek the Lord together. And then number two, um, as we are winding down the month of October, which is kind of nationally known as Pastoral Appreciation Month, um, I just want to take a moment and say uh, how much I am grateful for our staff and our team here at church. And many of you have been really kind to us, bringing big goodies, sending cards, little gifts. It's been We appreciate that greatly and having that expression come our way. But if you haven't yet uh, looked some of our staff members in the eye, Carrie, Clayton, Brittany, uh, Taylor, Jared, look them in the eye today when you see them and just tell them thank you. Tell them how much you appreciate them and are willing to pray for them in the coming days and month. We receive their ministry week in and week out, whether you realize it or not. And I'm really grateful for them. And I know you are as well. And so now's a great time to express that. All right. Did you find Acts 11 yet? Acts 11, we're going to start in verse 19. This is what the word says. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and um, Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21 is key. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem had heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Now both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. In fact, it was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus. He stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Holy Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the Roman Empire world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. They, this they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are at work, that many people can begin to discover the power of you among us as lives are transformed, as hearts are shaped, as 
joy abounds as ministry occurs. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our midst today. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, Over the years, I often have the joy of doing marriage coaching, most often pre-marriage coaching, but oftentimes marriage coaching for those who've been married for a little while and wanting to to tune up and and, um, make sure they're their relationship is set up for lifelong love. And I use a resource called Symbis that helps uh, create an assessment of many questions for them to kind of take an under-the-hood examination of the engine of the relationship just to make sure everything is firing and they're in um, a good place for healthy, lifelong love. And one of the elements to this resource or to this um, assessment produces what's called a resiliency score. Resiliency. It's, it's uh, them having answered some questions, examining some things about their own life and relationship, and determining how resilient they are when they're faced with challenges and, and difficulties. Uh, the dictionary defines the word resilient like this. The ability to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Uh, Resilience is one of the competencies of what uh, is often referred to in emotional intelligence. It gives people the capacity to bounce back from adverse physical conditions, things like calamities, tragic events, health issues, social turmoil, relational or financial problems, among many others. And then to make the necessary adjustments in order to adapt to the difficult changes they have to make with their lives. Friends, when we are faced with those kinds of challenges, which you will be faced with those kinds of challenges, it be health, relational, financial, social, uh, tragic events that occur in our world, there are moments of pain and pressure that are going to come at you and come at me. It's part of living a human existence in our world today. And when that happens, do we have the resilience in our life to bounce back rather than break down? I don't think any of us sign up for wanting to be broken down to experience a setback, whether, whether it be you feel betrayed in a relationship, a divorce, some financial calamity that hits you that wasn't planned for or wasn't seen or, or some diagnosis that comes into your family that kind of rattles and shakes your mind and your heart. This idea of resilience is something that we want to be able to see, accept, adjust, and adapt as we, as we go. I think we can become more like bamboo, I was really fascinated by this idea this week as I was thinking about how how pliable and bendable bamboo is. And and, and then I started to research it a little bit more this week and found this really interesting article. And And it says this. It says, according to a Japanese proverb, in time, even the strongest wind tires itself out, but the bamboo remains standing tall and still. Indeed, its outward traits belial its inner strength. A bamboo can withstand, this this was fascinating, a bamboo can withstand twice as much force bearing down on it as wood, brick, or even concrete can. Compared with steel, it can withstand more stress while being stretched, 
pulled or bent before breaking. Engineers call this capacity as the tensile strength. The field of psychology has its counterpart, and it's called resilience. It goes on to say this, if you want to develop resilience in your life, start by being conscious of your health. Physically, you have to be be up to the challenge. Eat healthy and practice periods of rest and renewal so you can face life's inevitable tough times with strength. It kind of reminds me that it's the practice of your everyday life that helps prepare you for the moments of life's greatest pressure. If you don't want to break when pressure comes, you have to predetermine patterns and routines and habits that are built into a place that helps you to develop that on the front end rather than just in the moment. It goes on to say this, take an in-depth assessment of your negative self-talk. Ask yourself, What's real in what I believe here? Is there any evidence behind this self-doubt? It reminds me of the importance of uncovering the lies that we believe. How often the emotions that we feel in a moment are indicating something that we believe in our core. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, is what I'm believing really true? And this is what they're referring to, this idea that here are these pressures and these things coming in our life and we're walking in doubt and discouragement and belief. The question is, is there any evidence behind this as true? Or is there something, is my mind playing games on me in some way? It goes on to say, be optimistic. Consider your setbacks as temporary. Treat your disappointments as short-term and contain them to the specific circumstance. Do not allow them to contaminate the other areas of your life. Encircle yourself with family and friends who can give you support. The load is heavier when you go through it alone. Inspire yourself from other stories of resilient people and learn from their experience. It summarizes it all by just simply saying, being resilient doesn't free a person from trials, pains, and emotional challenges, though. I think that's really true. This is, it's important that as we talk about resilience today and having a resilient faith, I think it's important for us to realize that what we're not talking about is just ignore the problems. What we're not talking about is just talk about it in a way as if it denies the reality that it's there. I don't think that's faith. I don't really necessarily believe that like fake it till you make it moments of our lives. I think it's develop faith in the moment so you can make it. That's better approach to the trials, the challenges, the moments and setbacks of our life. I I think this isn't about ignoring a reality or denying a diagnosis or or not acknowledging the pain or the moment of sadness or the, the grief that comes your way. It's not about denying those things. It's actually about being anchored to something and someone that is beyond that moment and time. It's being anchored and connected to someone who is beyond and stronger than the circumstances that you're facing today. See, I I think all of the things that the article listed are really great practical things to grasp, understand, and put into place. But I would take it a step further and would argue that all of them are actually rooted in a spiritual truth that helps produce a radiant spirituality about your life. That there is an element, I believe, that our spiritual resilience is the foundation for all emotional and mental resilience that we need to demonstrate in our lives. 
that there is something of a healthy spiritual life that allows us to be like bamboo rather than break under the storms and pressures of life. I want to take the next few minutes and talk to you about the subject of the radiant church and how the radiant church is a resilient church. As we explore this idea of how do we develop this resilient faith in our own lives, I think it's important to recognize that in this text, we see that the radiant church, uh, all described through the book of Acts, was a resilient church. They were a resilient people. In fact, today I want to share with you three kind of elements of being a resilient person and being a resilient church. We're going to talk about pressure. We're going to talk about power. And we're going to talk about partnership. They all start with a little P because I am a loving pastor. And I want you to remember the important points that are being made. Do you like that? It's nice free flow. You, no, nothing? Okay, fine. We're going to move on. Three elements to being a resilient church that I think are found in this text. Number one, pressure. If there is no pressure, there is no reason to be resilient. You only need to be resilient when pressure comes at you. This early church was walking in something of resilience because there was pressure coming their way. The whole text starts out by saying the very reason they were in Antioch was because they were being persecuted. Persecution was coming at them and it led them to a new opportunity to bring the gospel to another people group. This pressure was coming. This persecution was coming. And as a result of this persecution and this pressure that they were facing, many Jews and Gentiles were becoming, were beginning to experience faith being brought to life in their space. Faith was being brought to life in them. I, I love this about uh, the text. It says that the people were turning to the Lord. That they were turned to the Lord means they were repenting. They recognized they were moving in one direction that was contrary to God, and they turned around and started moving in the direction that was toward God. They, they, they repented in their life. This was, this, this pressure that they were experiencing was causing them to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and beyond, which is what Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 when the Holy Spirit showed up in their lives that they were to take the message beyond what they were familiar with. I think that the primary purpose of our church today and our church gatherings week in and week out is to first minister to the Lord, to equip saints, and to help reach the unbelievers. I think when we do these things and we focus on these elements, that it, it brings faith to life in people's lives. Many of you in this room, are here because faith was awakened inside of you. And you, were, you likely fall into one of three categories. You, you, you maybe fall into the category of somebody that was familiar with faith. You might fall into the category of somebody who had kind of fallen away from faith in Jesus. And you might fall into the category of somebody who was far away from faith in Jesus, having no background or understanding of God at all. We see this all the time. 
There's this element that when, when pressure comes, when things were happening, and, and what you see here is that it started to spread and spread out, but we see that even in our church, that, that many of you, because of moments in your life, find yourself at a place where maybe because you were familiar with God, you're, you're kind of like that Jew first, man. You, you kind of knew about God, aware of God, but something needed to be awakened and brought to life inside of you, and you found new life, fresh a fresh relationship with God. Some of you kind of fallen away. You grew up in the church. You grew up kind of hearing about the things of God, but it never really took root in your heart. Maybe you walked away in rebellion and started living your own life and living in your own thing, but, but something has awakened you and you've turned to God. And some of you, you are here today. The first time you ever stepped foot into church was when you walked through our doors. And this has not been a part of your life, not been a part of your upbringing. And you feel like you're on a steep learning curve, but something has awakened in you that is true because you have turned to the Lord too. I think what we experience in our church is similar to what they were experiencing there. They were experiencing it because the pressures of life, and it is true that when, when all of life, when the stuff hits the fan, has a way of causing us to look for a new perspective about what we've been going through. I think that's what Paul is writing about in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, I want to read a lengthy section of Romans 8 because I think it gives us the right perspective to hold as a resilient person when we're faced with pressure. Romans chapter 8, it's a bit long, and I think it's okay that we read the Bible at, at church because some of you, this is the only time you hear the Bible anyway, so I'm going to take my shot right now. Here we go. Romans 8. Verse is 18. Listen to this. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from the death and decay. For we know all, that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, even though uh, who has been a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we had already had something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something that is yet to come that we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Verse 26, and the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses in this way. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I think he's talking about speaking in the heavenly language of tongues there, but that's for another subject on another day. And the Father, verse 27, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to him. And having called them, he gave them the right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he's given them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, well, who could ever be against us? Since we did not spare, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? 
Who dares accuse us of whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake, we are killed every day and we're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears nor today or nor worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we want to have a resilient faith in the, mo- in the midst of our pressure, it's having a perspective that is different than what is in front of us right now. If we're going to develop this resilient faith, it's when pressure comes, we need to shift our perspective towards God's vantage point and not our own. I think the radiant people in Acts didn't escape the hardship, nor did they become revengeful, resentful, nor resistant to the pressures of their life. They didn't try to curate a a closely knit group so that they could get away from the crucible that life would bring them. See, we don't get to escape it, and they didn't escape it. I, I heard Pastor Levi Lusko pose a question recently, and he said this, is your God allowed to disappoint you? Is your God that you believe in, that you worship, that you think about, that you, you give your life, is he allowed to disappoint you? Or is your view and vantage point of God something that always does what you expect and what you think is best? Because if your view of God is that he never does anything to disappoint you and he never does anything contrary to how you think it should be and what the results should look like, then you don't have a view of God. You yourself have become God. We easily craft an image of God based upon our preference and, per- and our, our perspective of what we think is best. But see, when the moments of pressure come, I think it's important that we lift our eyes beyond the moment and we recognize that there's a view of heaven that is bigger and beyond what you're experiencing right now. Like a little kid who cries because they don't get what they wanted but the parent is protecting them and helping develop something in them that is better in the long run for them. And this is what Romans 8 is trying to communicate about the character of God, that his character is good and that we can remain radiant even in the midst of the pressure coming our way. And when, and when we allow our, our lives to be lifted to the point of heaven, and I know I'm taking a little bit of time on this, but I want you to hear me because pressure is coming for you. Some of you are experiencing the deepest darkness of your own soul in this season. Your greatest disappointment you've been confronted with. Some of you, your terror and your anxiety has been running rampant in your life and you're not sure what to do. 
Friends, in this moment when pressure of life comes, it's important to remember that pressure has a way of causing a positive, creative solution to arise to the problems that you're facing. Friends, when corruption begins to run rampant in systems, there are creative solutions that are seen with those who have eyes to see what is possible with God. Think about the invent- how colleges in the United States were started. The reason colleges were started was because people weren't being trained properly in a good education with a biblical perspective. And so they said, we're going to start higher education systems to help train people to honor God and be in ministry. That's why they started originally. Why do, why do we have hospitals in our world? Because people who had the name Christ in their lives decided, we're going to care for other people. Give us your poor, give us your sick, give us those... Let's look for an opportunity. See, when the pressure comes, if we're going to be resilient people, it's we allow the pressure of today to create the opportunities that we seize tomorrow. And every time you're faced with a moment of pressure, get God's perspective because it's likely he has a creative solution to the problems that you're facing. And I think that's what helps us in moments of disappointment, moments when when things seem uncertain, even in our community today and the things that we're worried about and stressed about. Can I just tell you that my eyes are fixed on Jesus and there is a perspective of heaven that goes beyond this moment. And having a resilient faith is willing to wait for heaven's perspective to my current day's problems. I'll take the one amen. (laughs) Friends, it's not just about the pressure that helps develop resilience. You don't get a diamond unless there's pressure. Pressure is a part of being resilient. But you know what else is there? The power. Look at what was present in this radiant church in Antioch. It says that it was the power of the Lord that was with them. It was the power of the Lord that was with them. In fact, when the Holy Spirit is at work in power, lives are being transformed, and there is evidence of life change. I love celebrating water baptisms as a church. Why? Because those are stories being told that is evidence of God at work in someone's life. There are a lot of things in our church that you might not like. There may be things and moments that you don't agree with my eschatology. You may not agree with my viewpoint on Israel. You might not agree with my viewpoint on uh, some, some other theological truths and anchor. You might not like the music. You may not like how we don't dress up enough. You might wish that we didn't dress up as much. You, you, I don't know where you're at. There, there might be things that you may not like, but one thing you can't do is deny the fact that the Spirit of the Lord is moving because lives are being transformed. I'm so thankful. The Spirit of God is at work in people's lives, transforming them and awakening things in them. And this was happening in this church. Jews and Gentiles alike were experiencing the transformative power of the Spirit, which I believe is actually the fulfillment that God had promised to Abraham. There was evidence of this change because the Spirit was at work. You know what else was evident? They had joy. If you're going to be resilient, it's about developing a spirit of joy that goes beyond your circumstance. I love Psalm 34 and verse 5. It says, those who look for him for help will be radiant with joy. 
No shadow of shame will darken their face. Psalms 119, verse 1, 1 and 3 says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all of their hearts. They don't compromise with evil, and they only walk on his path. There's a joy that comes when you're walking in partnership with the Holy Spirit, when the person of the Spirit is at work. Psalm 122 and verse 1 is one of my favorite verses. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's my favorite Sunday morning verse right there. I was glad when they said it's church day. Let's roll. Let's go. I was glad. Why? When the Holy Spirit is at work, it's not only lives that are being changed. There's a joy that is being developed, and that joy of the Lord gives you strength. Bamboo-like strength and resilience. It's not happiness based on all your circumstances being according to your preference. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that you've yielded to in your life that allows you to smile in the face of adversity, which actually helps produce the strength to keep going tomorrow. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The Holy Spirit was at work. The power of God was at work. Why? Because they had joy. You want to know if God is working in people's lives? Do they smile? That's one way to tell. Which means if you ain't smiling, might want to recheck your source. What's happening inside of you? I love that the other part of the power of God at work in them was seen in the fact that they remained true to the Lord. Barnabas was encouraging them, remain true to the Lord, remain true to the Lord, remain faithful. It's a work of the power of the Spirit in us to remain faithful, to remain true, to, to remain with fidelity when the world tries to tempt us with infidelity to God. When the culture tries to create something in you and tries to distract you, you remain true to the calling of what it looks like to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Our world is full of distractions, isn't it? It's really easy to get distracted from pursuing God first. God is not a priority in our life. Hear me. He is the center at which all of our other priorities ought to flow. Everything we do ought to be about the glory and the fame of God. Ought to be about this relationship, allowing the Spirit of God to grow and work in us. Distractions easily will keep you from being resilient. It'll be really easy to lower your commitment and your pursuit of God as the winter months roll in to southeast Kansas. Because your couch and your bed are a lot warmer than your cold car that you got to drive seven miles outside of town to attend church with. And you're going to want to, I'll just, I'll just stream it online. And that's really convenient. The problem is you probably are really distracted. The service becomes a background noise rather than the priority of your focus and your attention that day. And that, I'm grateful for the research. I really, really am. My question is, when you watch the replay because you weren't able to be here for whatever reason, you watch the replay, is it just background noise or are you actually sitting down to encounter the Lord and learn of him? Or is it just something that plays as you go? I know I'm guilty of that in so many other areas. Oh, but if I want to develop a resilient faith, man, there's about limiting distraction. I love that it says that Barnabas was there encouraging them to remain true to Jesus. You know, Barnabas, his name means son of encourager. Like, how appropriate that his main message was to encourage people to remain faithful to Jesus. I, I, I think Barnabas, uh, I didn't used to think this, 
But I've come to a place where I believe Barnabas is the author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. We don't really know. There's a lot of speculation on who wrote the book of Hebrews. For much of my life, I thought it was Paul. I've come to a place where I believe that it's Barnabas. The message of Hebrews was simply this, to encourage the believer to remain faithful in the midst of persecution and suffering by keeping Jesus at the center. That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. I actually think that it was Barnabas' life message. As the son of encourager, to encourage believers to keep Jesus at the center and to remain true to him no matter what pressure comes their way. His was a message of resilience because of Jesus living inside of them. It was his life message. I wonder if it's possible that while Barnabas was in Antioch, he would encourage them on one of the days where he stood up in the large group and the large crowd had gathered and he was encouraging them to remain true to the Lord. I wonder if it sounded like Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Therefore, friends, church members of Antioch, since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily is tripping us up. In other words, get rid of the distractions so that you can have full devotion to Jesus. And let us run the race with endurance that God has set before us. We do this, church in Antioch, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and wants to perfect our faith. Oh, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you do, uh, after all, you have not yet given yourselves, your lives in your struggle against sin. In other words, he's saying this. If you will keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll remember that you might be suffering something right now, but you're not on the cross yet. And you're not on the cross for sins that somebody else committed versus the ones that you've committed. He's reminding you, you can have a distraction-free devotion to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus and remain true in your devotion to him rather than settling for the false devotions that our world is trying to tell you to pursue. I love the son of encourager. I love Barnabas. I love his message to encourage the, the people to, to walk in the power of the Spirit so that they can become re- resilient. Another way that the power of the Spirit was at work among the people that was helping develop a resilience, it was seen through the fact that there were prophetic words that were being given. Those prophetic words were being given and they had to, in that moment, discern what they should do. I said last week that prophecy is not about decoding a mysterious message about the future. Near as much is it about, rather, it's more about discerning what we need to, number one, what spirit is saying this, and discerning and deciding then how we should respond to this. If this is a word coming from the spirit of God, then we need to decide how we should respond. Discernment is more important than interpretation. They were discerning. Wait a second. There's something that's, that's coming. It, it seems like this word about warning is a, is a warning from the Lord. We need to, to recognize this is a word of God and be the resilient people who are radiant in generosity and let's act in a way that is in accordance with what we believe God is wanting us to do. Let's decide something that helps us move forward in a proper response. How, how did they respond? The church in Antioch, one of the first places where Jews and Gentiles worshiped together in a congregation. 
This place in Antioch where Barnabas and Saul would eventually become, become their home base, their sending church to send them out on three different missionary journeys to bring the gospel around the world. This church, how did they respond in that moment to what the Spirit was doing in their lives, to seeing the life change take place, to, to recognizing that there was pressure mounting in the world? Do you know what their response was? A generous partnership that they committed to. This was the, the last element of developing some relationship, a, a, a resilience. Pressure comes. We recognize we have the power of the Spirit at work in our lives, and we respond by developing and walking in a partnership together. They were generous to each other. It says here that each person gave as much as they could. And they gave it in a way that it was submitted and said, here, Paul Barnabas, you take it and take it to the others. They weren't trying to manipulate the money. If you put our name on the back of a chair, we'll give you X amount of dollars for the church in Judea. They weren't manipulating some result tip for tat. They, they weren't saying, if you open up and show me exactly everything that you spend and how you spend it, and, and if you promise it's this and promise it's that, they weren't trying to control something. They just were contributing because the Spirit was at work in their lives, and there was a partnership that was being portrayed because pressure mounts, and when pressure mounts, we need the power of the Spirit in us, and when the power of the Spirit is working in us, there is a contribution that just naturally begins to flow in the way of generosity just works that way. Why is that the case? Here's why that's the case. Because when we create a partnership of generosity, we take our eyes off ourselves and we begin to contribute solely for the benefit of someone else. Resiliency is developed when we sacrifice for others. Because it begins to kill the evil, selfish, self-centered, and self-absorbed nature that we are all born with. Because when you experience pressure, we tend to recoil. That's the natural human response. But as people who are being formed by the Spirit, when pressure and life comes in, we step out of ourselves and Say, how can we serve someone else in the midst of this? If you're going through, hear me, hear me, hear me. If you're going through a pressure situation in your life where your problems are paramount in your eyes, look for a way to serve someone else and get your eyes off yourself. Why? It actually creates a new perspective. You actually begin to see differently. You respond differently. You begin to help someone else. When you are in the moment where you need prayer, that ought to be your prompt to see who else in your life needs prayer, and you pray for them. It's this whole idea, if you have a need, sow that seed. Plant in a space that you know you need to reap a harvest in. It's a very, very practical thing. And so when you decide, I'm in a moment where it's, I'm getting the pressure, I know the Spirit is with me, I'm hearing the voice of the Lord, I'm going to do something counterintuitive, and instead of being self-protective and self-absorbed, I'm going to step out and start serving someone else. That's partnership in the Scriptures. That's what it looks like. In this passage, there was something that puzzled me this week. 
And I had originally kind of wrote it off as like, well, this is a, a really good way that Luke, the author of Acts, is just kind of setting up and tying all the things that happen in like Acts 1, Acts 7 with Stephen, and here's this. And, and then we, we go back all the way to like Acts 9 where, where Saul was converted. And so he's just trying to like tie up a nice writing bow. A great literary mind of Luke was just trying to figure out like, let's reintroduce Saul to this story because Saul is going to take center stage for the rest of the book of Acts. So let's just get him back in. And in my mind, that made sense. That's, that's why, like, Barnabas left Antioch to go get Saul. But it doesn't really make sense that somebody would do that. Think about it. Barnabas was there to check out what was going on in Antioch. Things were growing. Large crowds were gathering. The church in Antioch was being developed. Oh, it's so good. Why in the world would he leave the success of the moment just to go get one guy and bring him back? Puzzled me a little bit. And anytime you come to a place of scripture that puzzles you, go ask the author of the book why it's there. So that's what I did. I just sat there and I said, Holy Spirit, you wrote this. Why in the world? Barnabas leave, go to Antioch, get Paul and bring Paul back. Why? That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I get the whole literary side of it. That's brilliant and beautiful. But like, why? What's the point of this being here? Why this background? Why this element? And I think that there was something that Barnabas knew. I think Barnabas had a deep revelation of what it looked like to be in kingdom partnership. I, I think Barnabas knew that if the church was going to flourish, I think Barnabas knew that if the church was going to continue to grow and be resilient in their faith amidst the pressure and the power of God moving, if there was something, I think Barnabas was keenly aware that the apostle Paul had an assignment on his life and that assignment needed to be a part in Antioch. In other words, I think Barnabas knew that there was something in Paul that needed to be brought to the rest of the church. There was a gift inside of Paul that his assignment needed to be there. Why? Because this is the first time that Jews and Gentiles are really beginning to be saved together at the same time. And God had called Paul, who originally was Saul. He changes his name to Paul for very practical reasons. We'll get into that in one of his missionary journeys in the later weeks. But the whole idea, why? Because Paul was called and assigned to be an apostle to the Gentiles. There was something in Paul that the church needed. And Barnabas was like, I know a guy who can help meet the need of what's, being, what's missing in this space. I, I think... I think Barnabas modeled to Paul what it looks like to be one body with many parts. I think Barnabas knew what kingdom partnership really looked like. That I'm going to bring all of who I am to the table as the son of encourager, but there's somebody else in their partnership who is called to reach these Gentiles and we need their gift at work in this space too. I think it was Barnabas who modeled, modeled some of these things for the Apostle Paul, which would lead the Apostle Paul later to write in Ephesians chapter four. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to his church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. 
And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son so that we all will be mature in the Lord. Resiliency. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Jesus Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. Reading between the lines, many of you are immature like children and don't need to be anymore. We all start as immature children. That's how we come into the kingdom of God. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more and more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church, and he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. How so? As each part does its own special work and it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. Some of you are experiencing the transformation of God because somebody decided to bring all of who they are and serve selflessly and sacrifice generously financially so that you could grow out of your immaturity in God. You're sitting in a chair that you didn't pay for, but somebody else did. You're benefiting from electricity that many of you didn't help pay for. And we all reap the benefit of somebody else's partnership. Here's my question though. Who is not growing in the maturity because you're not partnering? Because you haven't recognized that you have something to contribute to the church, to the family of God, to the body of Christ. Who isn't growing in the ways of God? because you've been sitting on your hands. You've been sitting on your energy. You've been sitting on your gifts. You've been sitting on your resource. When we all recognize there's a kingdom partnership at play, we recognize something really, really important. Not every part is the same, but every part contributes. Paul understood this because he saw Barnabas model it. And Paul would model it for the rest of us. He, he would recognize that the family of God and the body of God and the church of God isn't built on the talents of just a few select professionals, but on the sacrifice of many people who claim this to be the body of Christ that they are partnering with and belonging to. Some of you are like, well, pastor, how do we like partner at Faith Church, it starts by going to growth track. This is what we talk about in there. What does it look like to be a part and a partner and participant in the church? We don't do church membership. It's not a country club. It's not Sam's club. It's not Costco. You're not buying yourself privileges. 
but it is a kingdom partnership where we commit to bring all of who we are to help you grow and mature and develop and you bring all of who you are to help grow and develop and mature and be equipped to see other people experience the power of Jesus in their own transforming way. Everyone was contributing, giving something. I think sometimes we read, read texts like that and be like, oh yeah, everybody gave whatever they could. That's not what it says. They weren't trying to mitigate and minimize what they brought. They were looking for everything they could do to maximize, to bring everything that they possibly could bring to see the kingdom of God reach the people in Judea that they would never meet but could impact. When we talk about partnership, it's, it is financial. When we talk about partnership, it is about your time coming. We talk about partnership. It is about um, bringing your skills and the abilities that you have to serve the people of God around you. When we talk about partnership. It's being fully who you are and recognizing that somebody sitting on your row or across from your row needs your hug today. They need your prayer today. They need your act of kindness and generosity today. They need your friendship. They need your invite. Come hang out with us in our group. They they need you. They need your presence. They need your worship. They need your joy. They need your radiance. They need your resilience. And God has brought us all together, not to consume, but to contribute in a way that brings life to someone else. And that's how we together bring faith to life for people who are familiar, fallen away and far away from God still to this day. That's how we develop resiliency. We recognize pressure comes and we shift our perspective. What what does the resilient, the radiant, resilient church look like? They look for what's possible when they're faced with pressure and problems. They choose joy being filled with the power of the Spirit and they engage in partnership for the sake of the glory of God. Can I say it again? Resiliency in your life looks for what is possible when it's faced with pressure and problems. Choose joy being filled with the power of the Spirit and you engage in partnership for the sake of the glory of God in our land. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes for a minute? Just take a couple deep breaths and reflect. What is the Lord stirring in your heart today? I want to ask one specific question. And that's simply this. If you're here today and you feel like the pressures of life are about to break you, but you want to be resilient instead, and you just know the pressure, maybe inward, maybe external, maybe circumstantial, but you recognize the pressure is mounting and it's a lot right now. Would you just stretch your hand high so that we can maybe pray for you today. Just read it. Is it a pod? We're not going to ask for details. Go ahead. Keep it up. 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 For those of you whose hands are not raised, would you just quickly open your eyes and look for somebody whose hand is raised 
And would you go stand next to them and put a hand on their shoulder? This is one way that we together can partner. If you're not near somebody and you want to stretch your hand towards them, please do. This is us partnering together, praying for one another. I'm going to lead out in prayer, but I want you to pray right where you're at. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart to pray, you pray. And let's cover each other. Let's partner together. And let's pray that the Spirit of God would work in a way that creates a resilience in their lives. Can we do that? Let's pray together. Ready, go. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, that you are seated on the throne. And because, Jesus, you're seated on the throne, you are a great high priest and you are making intercession for us, as Hebrews says. And Lord, because you are making intercession for us, we can come with confidence. We can come with boldness and bring our requests to you. We can ask you to do a work in us because you are faithful, because you care for us. You know what's going on in every situation, in every circumstance. Jesus, I pray that you would lift their heads high, that the joy of the Lord would begin to bubble up in them and would produce a strength of fidelity, of faithfulness to the where they don't give up, they don't resist, they don't walk away, they keep their eyes on you, oh Jesus. God, would you strengthen them today? Would you let them know that just by our simple embodiment standing next to them, that they are not alone, that they are not alone, Lord, for those watching online that are in a, in a deep space and it's dark and it's surrounding them and, and they don't feel like they can get out of bed in the morning, they don't feel like they can move forward today, Lord, I pray that your light would reach them in this moment, that through every TV screen or little screen, Lord, that you would speak life to them right now, that your spirit would quicken them in their inner man and remind them that the greater is he that lives in them than he that's in the world trying to come at them. And Lord, you're at work to will and do of good pleasure in our lives and to do your good work in our lives. And Lord, where we are confused, where we are hurt, when we are wondering, where, where we feel like we don't know what's going on, God, would you help our eyes to be fixed on you? Would you grant us heaven's perspective even in the midst of our deepest pain? God, would you breathe encouragement to those right now? Would you lift their heads high? Would you bring people into their lives to help resource them, to help encourage them, to help walk with them so that they're not alone. Lord, maybe those praying for them right now, Lord, you might be prompting some of us in our hearts to share an encouraging word with somebody. You might be prompting us in our heart to, to go and find out what's going on in their lives so that we can be generous and express love towards them and care for them. Lord, would you do that and lead us to be your radiant people who are resilient in all things. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, can we speak blessing over one another? It's up on the screen, nice and strong. Let's read it together. Ready, go. The Lord bless you. Thank you. much for choosing to participate online with us this morning. Wherever you are watching from today, home, school, somewhere else, please know that you are a valuable part of Faith Church. If you're watching right now and want someone to... I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. 
Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.